Okay, we must confess that in recent episodes of Fantastical Truth, we have sounded a little bit more negative about popular culture. That is justified, though. At the same time, why have some pundits gone even more negative about fine pop culture traditions? For example, just a few years ago, some critics spoke as if movie theaters and the whole public experience of seeing movies in cinemas was finished. Passe. The end. Now, however, theater movies are roaring back and some studio CEOs are taking harder looks at the flaws and weaknesses of the streaming services. That leads us to ask, how can Christians evaluate this strange impulse among some to try to forecast trends and predict the future of our popular culture? Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the non-prophetic podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory and apply their meanings to the real world that Christ calls us to serve. I'm E. Stephen Burnett. I publish lorehaven.com. I'm a speaker and the co-author of The Pop Culture Parent, a nonfiction book about fiction. And I'm Zachary Russell, and I predict this is going to be a great discussion. This is episode 125, Why Do False Prophets Predict Doom for Movie Theaters and Other Cultural Experiences? I always like putting doom in a headline there, Zach. Now, we're <laughs> going to talk a little bit about Dune later on, but doom is what a lot of people about this time two years ago were forecasting for the movie industry. They thought that we would be in lockdowns for the foreseeable future. The and therefore, end is near. The end is near. Uh, <laughs> the, just stay at home, live in a pod. You will own nothing. You'll be happy. You will eat watch bugs. nothing but movies on TV. You will work from home and eat bugs. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, there was a meme going on there for a while. I think it's still around. And we may have to explain that, at least so far as we uh, understand that. Uh, Zach, real quick, though, before we get started, when was the last time you saw a movie in the actual movie theater? Yeah, Naomi and I saw the new Top Gun Maverick uh, just a few weeks ago, and it was fantastic. I'm, I was so glad to to see such a big, awesome movie in the theater and with, with a lot of people just celebrate great movies uh, together. Yeah, that's really what it's about. Uh, and we'll talk in the concession stand about how we're going to be more positive about the movie viewing experience, at least as an idea, at least as an expression of human culture, as God has intended it. Uh, however, the uh, the corruption here, uh, the sin that gets involved is actually, I think, when people try to challenge the idea as if somehow we should all just get together and determine that this thing, which we all viewed as mostly good before, uh, is now mostly bad. But I think, Zach, also, uh, there's this tendency that people have just to try to get ahead of the future and be the first person to call it, uh, be the person who is effectively a prophet who saw it coming in advance, and therefore they need to increase their clout and possibly their platform and their salary. Um, our last movie in theaters, I literally cannot remember, though. Uh, I haven't seen a whole lot of the superhero movies lately. Um, I don't have young kids, so I really didn't need to go see The Rise of Gru. I uh, wasn't that interested <laughs> in the light year or stuff like that. But but even like Doctor Strange, I've mentioned before, and I'm not going to complain about it. I just I just somehow felt uh, anti-interested in the Doctor Strange sequel or the latest Thor movie or any of those things. And then even now, though it looks like the Snyderverse is being restored, all of the DC universe is in flux. So I'm waiting to see if they make some big decision, possibly in October, as the streets are saying. Uh, if they do make a good decision there, then I'll probably come back to theaters to see at least some of the DC movies I'm interested in, uh, in addition to Dune Part 2 and some of the other films. I haven't, I didn't see Top Gun Maverick, though. Like, everybody and their cousin oh, saw it's it. great. You except for me. It. Yeah, and I, and I want to. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, obviously, I've 
like many people um, did not see the original, but lots okay. of people say you don't have to see the original in order to appreciate the new one. So, well, not only did I see the original as a kid, which is just hilarious because you know the PG rating was so different in the eighties. But um, yeah, that's what I'd heard, right? Yeah, it's uh, heavy PG <laughs> going on. I take it lots of oily people, huh? Yes, but uh, you know more than that, it was the Top Gun Nintendo game that I used to play all the time with my friends, and I could never beat the level with like the mid-air. Uh, refueling there was like a fuel tanker and you had to like fly your jet up to it and get refueled man i could never get past that i'd always have to get my friend david or matt to get past that level for me um but you know i you mentioned rise of Gru. i i did go see that as well uh with my two big girls and that was a lot of fun because yeah we we don't go to movies a lot as a family and that was like a real special treat and you know we could have just waited for that to come out on streaming or dvd or whatever but again it, it's like going to that as, as sort of a daddy daughter date w- was really fun uh but also just being in the theater laughing with everyone else that was there to see it was was great fun uh because it's it's just hilarious well that's a collective experience that you can only get in the movie theater and you can't get in your living room unless you have an enormous you know million dollar mansion living room with your own home theater yeah. system and a lot of friends with a lot of free time Uh, That really goes to, I think, the healthy element of movies, and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. I mentioned, however, this idea of predictions, and I've been waiting to get this book into a podcast one way or another. This is a book called The Catalog of Tomorrow. I've had this thing since 2003. It's kind of like this uh, shiny soft cover coffee table style book. Its subtitle is Trends Shaping Your Future. And uh, it was uh, basically, I mean, it was a catalog uh, with a lot of articles and photos and concept art and things about well, trends that will shape your future. Uh, and I remember there were some accurate predictions in here, like the digital reading revolution. Certainly a lot of that has actually come to pass. Like they were talking about this thing that I had never heard of before, electronic paper. Uh, the screen, it basically got uh, adapted for use in the Amazon Kindle product, uh, which wasn't mentioned in here, but I think was announced just a few years after I saw this. So it feels good to have some kind of resource that's actually going to help you understand what trends might be shaping your future There's a lot of stuff in here, though, that uh, at least uh, so far has not come to pass and a lot of things that were not anticipated. Um, This book was actually published before the smartphone revolution. So this idea of uh, Internet was still very much conceived as a desktop only uh, future. But there were some predictions in here about the Internet of Things, which has absolutely uh, been coming to fruition about 20 years after this book came out. And then there's there's some other things about, well, here's some, you know, uh, macro approaches that people are going to take towards city planning and, and governments and things like that, that really were ended up a little bit more science fiction ish. And there's nothing in here about, of course, uh, society being uh, adjusted at this uh, huge uh, level uh, in order to allow for a virus plague or something. So that's really uh, the wrench that got uh, thrown into this whole mess of future prediction. And that leads into our uh, topic today, which I'll get to after I get to our first sponsor for this episode which is Morgan Bussey's Blood Secrets, a uh, YA novel just out from Enclave Publishing, our top sponsor for this episode. Once again, this is book two of the Sky World series, which started with Secrets in the Mist. And Secrets in the Mist uh, just won the uh, Realm Award for the best uh, YA novel of 2021. Here's the description for book two, Blood Secrets. Not everyone wants to see the world saved. Time is running out. Cities are being engulfed in the mist and humanity is on the brink of extinction. Theo believes he has found a way to stop mankind from turning, but he doesn't know how to alter Cass's unique blood into a cure. 
or if it can even be done. Meanwhile, Cass struggles with the idea that she is possibly the savior of the world, a world she is not sure is worth saving. Morgan Bussey is the winner of the Sela Inspi Reader's Choice and Carol Awards, and this book is now available wherever outstanding books are sold. It's also available in ebook and in audiobook from Oasis Audio. Visit enclavepublishing.com for more information on Blood Secrets and other exciting titles. You can get all of those links in our page for podcast sponsors, lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors, and you can find the basic links in our show notes for this episode 125. Zach, I'm feeling a little hungry now. I can predict that we're going to need a few concessions for this episode when we talk about prophecy and lambast critics and all kinds of fun things that could uh, seem like just so much red meat, but we want to do this for Christ-exalting reasons, so let's uh, unwrap yeah. some candies so- here. So not red meat, got. but a uh, plant-based uh, concession plant-based, stand. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Go. This is going to be an impossible concession stand. <laughs> you know, in fact, I think we may even find some treats in here that are made out of bugs. Let's just throw <laughs> those directly into the garbage can and go for the human food. Uh, in this episode, uh, like I said, we did get to be a little bit more positive about popular culture, and that's okay. Uh, just in case you're hearing us, though, talk about how great movies are and how much fun it is to go to the theater and things like that. No worries. We have done our homework. We know that popular culture is full of idols. I actually helped write a book partly about that very topic. And we've had plenty of episodes uh, just recently about uh, some of the dangers of even woke entertainment and things like that. So this is the part where we get to double back a little bit and go, wait a minute. Uh, The idea of seeing movies in theaters with other people is actually a good idea that we inherit from the reason that God gave us human culture. So that's what we're going to explore in this episode. God gave people the the ability to share amazing stories, and I would apply that to the theatrical viewing experience. Yes, idolatry of movies is bad. Some of the filthy content in movies is definitely bad. Actually, all the filthy content is bad, but not all the content in movies is bad. You can also enjoy movies for good, Christ-glorifying reasons. I think there's also something wholesome, Zach, uh, about the impulse to respect tradition and respect the past. Uh, I would apply this even to mythology, you know, the impulse that someone has to learn from our ancestors and not just throw out the past, uh, kill it if you have to, as a famous uh, villain uh, seems to have said. Uh, There's another famous quote about how if you come across a fence in the woods, you don't kick over the fence until you know who put it there and what it was for. Uh, Maybe it does need to be kicked down. Maybe it's uh, outlived its youthfulness, but the impulse of preserving the past is healthy. Uh, And I would say even verges on godliness, uh, even though obviously that can go in some negative directions, too. In this episode, uh, it's a bit of a different topic. Uh, We're inspecting a weird issue about uh, people just a couple of years ago all getting together in mass and deciding that the theatrical experience was done, passe, possibly even dangerous or immoral. We're all going to live in pods and watch streaming shows. And by the way, Zach, uh, if you don't mind, I personally, uh, for my part of this discussion, will draw from one recent example. Uh, some of the doubling back of at least one streaming service, HBO Max. But this is not a Snyderverse show. Uh, it's just kind of tangentially related because there was an earnings report by the new CEO a couple of weeks ago that I found very interesting uh, for how he was uh, leaning back towards theaters and a more traditional outlook on entertainment and, oh, you know, profitability over trendy predictions. Yeah, you know, Stephen, thinking about this whole idea of predicting, it, what, what comes to my mind is the fact that home movies, you know, the home movie experience is such a recent phenomenon in the last hundred years. And, and I mean, obviously movies have only been around for about a hundred years. And before that it was just live theater, but home movies have only been around in our lifetime 
since the development of Betamax and then uh, VHS. But then streaming has only been around for about 15 years. I had to look up. Uh, Netflix started streaming in 2007. And then the interesting thing is uh, there's this 1993 commercial from AT&T. It's, it's called the You Will ads. And, and they sort of predicted all these future technologies uh, that we take for granted nowadays, like FaceTime calls and eBooks. And, and one of the things they predicted in 1993 was at-home, on-demand movie streaming, just going up to a, and in, in the commercial, it's a flat screen TV, pressing a couple buttons and starting a movie. And, you know, that, that is a really new experience uh, in just our lifetimes, much less all of, you know, American history or whatever. And so it, it's funny how we, we predict these things and then we think that uh, the, these new technologies will kind of, you know, cannibalize all other experiences and technologies. And that's sort of a weird, like backwards prediction, I guess. That is weird. Not so much. I think I agree uh, that people are trying to predict new technologies, but this assumption that the new technology will supersede the old technology. Yeah. Uh, interesting too about their predictions. I actually remember a little while ago, people were resurfacing a video by Ben Affleck who also predicted the streaming revolution. Oh, this was like in the mid two thousands, I think before there was Netflix or anything like he was just speculating, just kind of on a roll, uh, being very articulate and, and people assume, I think wrongly that actors are dumb. They just know how to pretend <laughs> to be other people. Like maybe some, but not so uh, certainly not Ben Affleck there who was basically talking like an entertainment pundit. You don't get to be, you know, where you are as an actor without knowing a lot of things and staying in touch with the trends. And so it's it's not wrong to want to do that. I'll just throw that in as another concession. Like we're not certain, we're certainly not uh, trying to overthrow or challenge the idea of predicting things. Uh, if uh, if anything, fantastical truth is kind of putting a few chips uh, on the idea that Christian-made fantasy is gonna go big someday, or is at least going to go a little bit bigger uh, than a comparatively niche genre. I mean, we don't do this for the profitability, but we are trying to help move things in that direction because we think that uh, it's not only the future and therefore is good, uh, but we think that these stories can be a net good uh, apart from some glitches that arise from idols, of course. Uh, let's go to chapter one then for our discussion, Zach. Uh, why did critics and corporations assume that movie theaters would shut down? Why did these people just a couple of years ago in 2020 assume that all the movie theaters were going to shutter because public events were over? The age of public events is over. The age of the COVID has begun, uh, to quote the uh, orc from the Return of the King film. Uh, Zach, you mentioned again, um, the predictions, the Betamax and VHS battles uh, starting in the 80s and ultimately VHS won uh, at least for about uh, 12 to 15 years. And then we had DVD come along. And then DVD was phased out by Blu-ray, and though, which, which was in a, a battle with around, HD DVDs. That's right. For a while. Yeah, yep, that's <laughs> right. And then Blu-ray has been uh, kind of replaced now by 4K discs, uh, which yeah. is uh, kind of still more of a premium product, uh, competing with uh, streaming, um, including a lot of 4K streaming. So this this sort of thing has gone on for a while, and yet I think the battle actually begun much earlier when television. Uh, was beginning uh, more in the late 40s, 50s, and 60s. And a lot of critics were saying, well, you know, that's it for movie theaters then, and everybody's going to get a television, and movie theaters are going to be completely thing of the past. Uh, not so. Movie theaters stuck around through television. Uh, movie theaters stuck around uh, through cable television and VHSs. And uh, Disney, for example, it's uh, interesting. They were very reluctant for a while uh, to release any of their movies on VHS, and then they tried it, and then everything took off, and then... Some people argue it's all been downhill from there. 
But movie theaters have stayed throughout all of these uh, all of these different uh, technologies for home entertainment uh, that have gone on. And it looks like they're about to outlast yet another prediction of doom, which is just as of a couple of years ago. This, of course, happened because of the uh, covid uh, pandemic. Uh, some people still uh, think it's going on uh, in Texas. It's it's kind of not going on, really, although some people, yourself included, Zach, are still suffering this nonsense by the way pray for zach you guys like once again i'm doing a little bit more of the talking because they're being hit hard by the covids and they could use uh, your prayers uh, for healing and rather than these uh, rolling reinfections or whatever else is going on there so aside over uh, back to the predictions uh movies thrive of course on crowds getting together for an event you budget the movies you make them to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars and then you spend maybe even more on marketing the thing and youtube ads and tv ads and all of this and that's how you turn you know a 300 million dollar movie into maybe a billion point two dollars worldwide uh your business model is based on people showing up and bringing their friends to the theaters well now you can't show up because most people locked down and said uh, you, you have to space everybody out a certain amount. And so even if you have movies going, then you maybe can get only one third of the people into the movie house. And some studios panicked. Uh, you can remember this collectively from memory. We'll have some links in the show notes about it. But if you have a crowd based system of revenue and the crowds are gone, then you need to find some other way to get your movies out there and get them to make a profit. Uh, I think the studios panicked mainly, though, because some critics were also saying well, this isn't just two weeks to slow the spread. Like, isn't just a few months. Like, for all we know, COVID could go on forever. You know, maybe we ought to just look to streaming as the future. Like, maybe movie theaters are finally finished and everybody's going to get bigger and bigger TVs in their houses and they're just going to live in a pod and watch the TV screen. Like, it's all going to be Netflix and Amazon and Disney Plus and HBO Max and Paramount and all of those guys. Hulu, like your favorite streaming service goes here. Uh, some of that uh, criticism, Zach, though, I think uh, was clickbait. I think it was a bit of a doom saying, like yellow journalism. Uh, that's not new to our era. Alarmism sells. Like even putting the word doom in our title for this podcast is a bit of a friendly nod in that direction. Uh, some people were just selling doom. Theaters are over. Hollywood's finished. And I was the first one to tell you, I'm pretty smart, huh? Uh, I think, though, Zach, there's there's some people who are trying to make the call for more legitimate reasons, because there was a little while there when we thought that COVID would have been more lethal and that the lockdowns would have gone on more long, uh, more long. Uh, if it had proved to be a more terrible virus, then maybe, yeah, we were done with the baseball games and the wrestling games and the public concerts and all those things. Maybe big crowds did need to be curtailed. But now we seem to be in a more stable position, at least generally across the world, when we realize, nope, people are not going to go along with that. Governments are not going to go along with that. Crowds have not ended, and therefore movie theaters have not ended. And therefore, to spoil the ending of chapter two, a lot of people who gambled entirely on streaming uh, and just giving up the idea of movie theaters and the cinematic experience uh, for Lost, if you gambled money on that, I think it's safe to say that you failed. Uh, and a lot of people did gamble money on that. Uh, a quick summary here, just from based on my memory of keeping track of the entertainment moves, news. Uh, Zach, you remember D Disney moved all of its Pixar movies to Disney Plus. Uh, the pandemic came out right when Onward was in theaters and suddenly nobody was going to see Onward because they were all freaking out. They were going to catch COVID from watching the Pixar movies. So they stuck it on Disney Plus real quick. Uh, they decided to put all their other Pixar movies on Disney+. Plus. Uh, there was Soul, and then there was um, uh, Luca, uh, the one with the uh, Italian boys who turned into fishmen. 
Uh, and then there were some Marvel movies that went straight to Disney Plus. So they put Black Widow on there for, I think, 20 bucks. And I think the live action Mulan went on there for 20 bucks extra. Uh, HBO Max went even further and they said, OK, we're not going to charge anything extra. We're going to do day and date releases for our big movies. So we're going to put Tom and Jerry on HBO Max. Uh, we're going to put uh, what was it? Oh, In the Heights on HBO Max. We're going to put Dune on HBO Max. They put Dune part one, it turned out on HBO Max the same day that it was in theaters. Uh, and they set their entire 2021 movie slate to debut on HBO Max along with cinemas. That's the headline from Deadline. We'll put that in the show notes. That was a big gamble that they made. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. A lot of people now, again, giving away our next chapter or two here, a lot of people now are realizing that is crazy. Like literally the whole company is under new ownership now. And the new guy is like, no, we're not doing that anymore. We're rolling it back. We're going to emphasize theaters again. Uh, but for a while there, like everybody was going along. It was support the current thing. Uh, in, in at least one sense, and it was down with theaters, up with streamers. Streaming is the mm -hmm. future. Streaming is life. Like everything's about streaming. Streaming can't fail. And then Netflix came out with some numbers that said, actually, our subscriptions are kind of flatlined. You know, we might look into putting some ads on there. <gasps> and then even Disney Plus is uh, uh, plateauing a little bit. And even Disney Plus is thinking about making an ad supported tier. <gasps> and then I've already mentioned the thing about uh, HBO Max. I think it just illustrates the flaws of trying to get ahead of the future and particularly making overgeneralized statements about how everything was going to be about streaming services and nothing was going to be about the movie theater, uh, movie viewing experience. There's three movies I want to talk about that kind of illustrate where I've, how I've kind of responded to all of this. So the, the first movie I want to talk about is Tenet. So that came out. Oh, Tenet, of course. Two yes. years ago. And it was right around the, right around my birthday when that came out two years ago. And back in 2020, I was being extremely cautious about COVID. I'd gotten really sick that year in January. The doctor said it was the flu, but it was something I'd never had before that I, I thought I was actually dying from. Lost my sense of taste and all kinds of crazy stuff. It was all the COVID symptoms. And then the lockdowns happened in March 2020. And I, you know, I'd, I just kind of followed along with that because I was like, wh whatever I got sick with was either COVID and I don't want to get that again. Uh, or COVID is worse than what I had. And I have some other health complications and I'm just like, I, I don't want to mess with this. I pretty much stayed at home in my pod, you know, for six months. But when Tenet came out in uh, September of 2020, I was like, I, ca I can't wait for this to come out on Blu-ray or whatever. Like, I, I want to see this in the theater. I looked around in some theaters and I'm like, well, I don't want to go to just a big theater and, you know, all these random people or whatever. So I found a theater where I could rent out a showing uh, for a hundred bucks. I could rent out a whole showing and invite however many friends I wanted to come. And then we all kind of chipped in and yeah, we all, you know, did the mask thing at the time and, and we were all very careful, but it was, it, there was just this instinct in me, Stephen, like I can't see a movie like this in my pod. <laughs> I've got to see it on a big screen and I've got to see it with other people. I mean, I could have just rented out that theater for myself. But I, I was just like, there's something really wrong about that. And <clears throat> what I suspect it is, is, you know, Tenet was made by the same guy that made Inception. Yeah, Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of my all-time favorite movies because it, it's a movie about movies. It, the whole thing is an analogy for the movie experience that a, a movie is like a shared dream that you experience, you know, in the dark. Just like in the movie, they, they hack into people's dreams as, a, as like, a, like a heist. And they're all plugged in together with their whatever machine they're using. 
that, that's always stuck with me that is that a movie is something to enjoy together. Even as, as cautious and as worried as I was about COVID two years ago, I was not going to see that movie <laughs> alone in my bedroom. And I think there's another movie that influenced me along these lines, which was Wally, which came out, what, I don't know, 15 years ago or something? 2008, yes. Yeah. And, you know, Wally <laughs> predicted this uh, pod people kind of future of these, uh, you know, everyone living on this uh, galactic luxury liner and they're and they're floating uh, easy chairs and they've got on-demand streaming and on-demand, you know, soda and they're totally morbidly obese and they can't walk <laughs> and, and they're just being fed from these machines and these robots are doing everything for them. And, you know, I think that was, uh, it, it's a uh, accidental dystopian movie about uh, streaming culture and, and pod people <laughs> living. And I think a lot of us uh, kind of watch that going, yeah, I don't want that. I, I don't want that to be my life uh, in, in 10, 20, 50 years. Yeah, I, I think these movies have, have successfully inoculated me from the, the pod living, even though we had to do that for a period of time. It's like, no, we're, I don't, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So let's hear it for Common Grace in movies, folks. And I think that Wall-E, directed by Andrew Stanton, uh, does count as a Christian movie, because at least at one point, Andrew Stanton was a professing Christian a lot oh, cool. of people viewed that as um, as like an environmentalist fable, like some kind of a humanist movie. The answer to that is yes. Yes, it is. Absolutely. But come on, you have, you know, a lady robot named Eva, you know, you have kind of an Adam <laughs> and Eve type redux only with robots. And the whole story is about not just human beings uh, who are, you know, overstuffed and living in the lap of luxury out in their uh, in their spaceship. But the whole point is like, no, people belong on Earth. People may have ruined Earth and then escaped from Earth. but we need to go back to earth. Like even the end credit song is repeating this theme and there's all this art that the, the point of Wally is not the humans are a toxin on earth, but the humans are the caretakers on earth. We are made to be the stewards of earth and we need to do a better job than the folks in Wally did with all the junk surrounding the earth in orbit and on the ground. And it takes a human creation, a robot, and then another robot to help remind them of this. So kind of like movies sometimes, you know, our own creations come back to convict us of the job that we're supposed to do. And I think that that uh, in, in the theme of Wally and not just the uh, the uh, arguable religious identity of the Wally director uh, helps make that a, a deeply Christian movie. Well, and you, you've hit at something here, which is why did critics assume movie theaters would shut down? It's because they were. I think a lot of people were buying into this. Oh, nature is healing. We were the virus yeah, <laughs> that was going around in 2020, going on. Yeah, which, which, which we did an episode about back then. And I'll yeah. see if I can pull that up, which one that was, but yeah. yeah. Oh, that was, yeah. that was episode 16 from, from May of 2020. Oh, one of our um, earlier ones. Yeah. No, yeah. it was still a good one though. And, and kind of going after that in uh, hopefully a gracious way. And yet also an early way. Yeah, if, if people are uh, trying to suppress the guilt that comes from sin, that comes from the conscience, it's going to go somewhere. There's only so far deep you can squash that. Uh, and one of the little life hacks you can do if you're feeling guilty about something is turn the I feel guilty to we are guilty. Just spread it out to everybody else. Yeah. A, bit of a, a bit of a collective scapegoating there. Hey, uh, let's get to our second sponsor real quick. Uh, speaking of doom and forecasted uh, uh, terrible things for the world, our sponsor, too, for this episode is once again P.S. Patton's science fiction novel, The Withering. Here's the back cover description. Their world has reached its end. The fight for their future has only just begun. The moon will soon collide with the surface of Nolaro, and three orphaned teens have nothing left in the world but each other. As the apocalypse threatens to end all life on their world, Roe is desperate to protect his little brother and secure a future for themselves. 
while Jima falls captive to her dark past. A sardonic traveling magician offers them a way off their dying world, but at what cost? Their search for an escape will force them to face questions of flesh versus spirit, natural life versus eternal life, and physical death versus spiritual death. Family, faith, and courage are at the heart of this end-of-the-world adventure. The Withering is now available. Emily Hayes, an author award winner in her own right, said that Patton has crafted a redemptive tale of brotherhood, sacrifice, and hope. And author Kate Stein also praised the book, saying, I really felt those Paralandra vibes throughout, and the mix of tension with superbly done supernatural elements made me feel like I was reading a peer of Peretti or Decker. You can see those full quotes and more info in our lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors page or get the basic link in our show notes for this episode 125. Zach, we've already crossed over into chapter two, so let's just open that up uh, officially now. Chapter two, what happened when corporations gambled on longer lockdowns? Well, what happened is it didn't work. Uh, The predictions of uh, eternal streaming forever and doom and shuttered movie theaters where no one would ever go because it's a hotbed of sin or worse, a virus, have failed. Uh, It's been fascinating to watch, at least in the case, Zach, you mentioned Christopher Nolan with Tenet. It was kind of a test case there because Warner Brothers decided, okay, uh, our movie Tenet was supposed to come out summer 2020. We're not going to do that. We're going to put it on HBO Max, guys, and put it in theaters. And Christopher Nolan hit the roof. Understandably, because Nolan is a the sacredness of the theatrical experience cannot be challenged sort of guy. He doesn't sound like that. He seems like a nice guy, just a little bit stuffy enough to get some really intricate and sometimes confusing stories made. Nolan actually left the studio over it. Uh, He and Warner Bros. were best buds for a while. He certainly helped them out with their Batman movies, the Dark Knight trilogy. Then after that, they would basically just let him make what he wanted. Uh, Even really uh, ambitious stuff like Interstellar, which I think is still my favorite Nolan movie. Well, now he's over at Universal Studios, uh, which didn't go in for that sort of thing, uh, making a a historical drama called Oppenheimer about the inventor of the atomic bomb. And then he's back to making it an event movie. You know, hey, speaking of doom, kind of uh, spying a theme here, like Nolan likes themes about ticking clocks and time and progress and you know, that sense of doom versus humanity and all of that stuff. So I'm sure he's back in his happy place, but I hate to see him uh, in the studio at odds now because the studio made this weird decision. Okay, we're going to put all of our big budget blockbuster movies on TV in order to prop up HBO Max. And then if the directors complain about it, well, we'll, we'll give you some extra money, even though you're not getting a cut of the theatrical proceeds because there's very little theatrical proceeds. Uh, they just sort of jumped ship over to streaming. And as a result, they not only lost money, but they weakened the brand. The event movie was suddenly not a thing anymore. Every movie became a made-for-TV movie. Let's just admit that's what it felt like. There's still that stigma there that even if you spend $200 million on a movie, if you watch it first on TV, it may be a $50 million movie. There was this idea of exclusivity. You go to a special place. You undergo a ritual. You pay for expensive snacks. You sit in a special seat with a ticket for which you pay extra. Uh, you organize things with your friends. They darken the lights. They show trailers. It's liturgical, folks. And I'm sure there's a lot of stuffy Christian think pieces about the liturgy of the cinematic experience. Well, there's some truth to that. I think you can overdo it a little bit. But when you make movies too common, when it's not being played at a movie theater at a specific time in a specific place, but you have control, you're autonomous, you can turn it on your TV whenever you like. It makes it more common. And Zach, I think you and I shared that feeling uh, about um, 
uh, uh, Nolan's movie Tenet. I actually didn't see it in theaters. I think I was just really busy at the time. But I felt that way about Dune, and I'll get to that in a moment. I think the result, though, here is that ultimately a bunch of fandoms who were already in disarray uh, from other disagreements they had, uh, especially with the corporations, the overcome modification, if that's even a word, of movies did not help. Uh, you withdraw that feeling of specialness from the movie and put it on anybody's ordinary TV screen to be seen uh, for first release. That just made it uh, made it more common. It took away the specialness. And Zach, you rebelled against that with, uh, uh, sounds like with Tenet, and I rebelled against that with Dune, and I think you did too. And I think a lot of fans did. Uh, it was fall 2021. Uh, we were kind of tired of this thing, uh, depending on your state or nation. Maybe a lot of the lockdowns have been lifted and people just said, you know what, just practice common sense, you guys get vaccinated and be as wise as you can, given your own circumstances and what your family's needs are. And for us, at least at the time, Dune came out in theaters. The reviews were out of this world positive. Uh, we had been hyped for it. And even though I could have turned on my TV and seen Dune, I decided, no, I don't care. I'm going to go see this in theaters. I'm going to find the biggest screen in town that's closest to me and see it in theaters. And yes, it was an experience. Uh, and we, we tried that, by the way, uh, in Christmas 2020 with Wonder Woman 84. And we liked it okay, but it's certainly not the experience that Dune was. And at that point, I think, Zach, do you remember like some of the punditry started turning around because Dune was so fresh and original and different and unique uh, and COVID fatigue or lockdown fatigue rather was kind of setting in and people just started saying maybe even begrudgingly, especially if you were predicting doom for the theaters, I started seeing a lot more people going, oh yeah, that's why we liked movies on the big mm -hmm. screens. That, that's why we wanted it to be special. Maybe we ought not end and doom the theatrical experience after all. Yeah. And you, you know, going back to Tenet for a minute, I just remembered that what really got me thinking along these lines was this little stunt that Tom Cruise did back in August of 2020. Uh, he went undercover to uh, a theater, I think in London to see tenant and, you know, again, wearing the mask and everything like we did back then. Uh, but he made a big show of it. And he had a little film crew kind of follow him in the car and go in the theater with them. And, and I think he just surprised a lot of fans like, Oh my gosh, Tom Cruise is here seeing this movie. And, and, you know, he didn't have a lot of, uh, you know, eloquent things to say. He's just like, Hey, it's great to see movies again in the theater. This is a big movie. It deserves to be on a big screen. And it was just that little like boost of courage. I, I think that Tom Cruise gave me, but also gave a lot of people of just saying, Hey, we, we can do this. Like some things are worth a little bit of risk, like gathering with your friends. It, it's worth a little bit, you know, otherwise it, and I, it really made me think about this of like, am I just trying to stay alive for as long as possible? Or am I living for something? Am I living for friendships, relationships? And yes, even experiences like, am I willing to take a little bit of risk uh, in my life? But I think ultimately it comes down to the fact that we are embodied souls. You know, we're not just eyeballs connected to a brain sitting in a jar somewhere that, that we have bodies. <laughs> like we, I, I don't want to get into this too much, but you know, we, we aren't just spirits and souls and minds like we we are physical creatures that need physical proximity to other physical beings and um i i think that was really starting to break through to a lot of people at that time and um you know i think texas kind of started turning the page around that time but uh yeah i i think that it, it just was never going to work long term i i think it's just it goes so against human nature that and I think a lot of corporations, you know, where they, where they 
predicting this or were they trying to engineer this kind of thing? Cause maybe it's less risky to do streaming. I, I don't know. I, I think there's a little bit of both. I, I mean, it's about trying to make money, but uh, I think they were trying to engineer a certain way for us to consume stories. I think some people were trying to engineer it, uh, especially the hype masters and the clickbait writers uh, and the social critics, you know, the entertainment critics who wanted to be the first to predict the future TM. I think they were trying to engineer it. Uh, but in a lot of ways, I think the studio heads and the executives, uh, they maybe were not trying to engineer it as much because surely, you know, you see that you spend $300 million in a movie and you get a billion point two dollars back. Uh, why would you want to mess with that if for no other reason than everybody you trust, everybody who seems wise and all these hipster critics are telling you, no, that way lies doom. It's never coming back. The lockdowns will never end. Like we're all going to be living in pods. And I'm sure that can get to a lot of people uh, after a while, particularly when you have to keep postponing the release dates uh, for Quiet Place Part 2 or Black Widow or any of those movies. Zach, real quick, we kind of set this up at the beginning, so I want to make sure to touch on it. Uh, the, the meme about living in a pod and eating the bugs. What is that about? Now, it's kind of a meme where people will say, no, I will not live in a pod. I will not eat the bugs. You know, I'm going to own things. You know, uh, there's there's this uh, there's this weird trend that some people, some like humanist writers or, you know, kind of new agey mystical types will say, like, we're all going to live in tiny pods and we're going to eat bugs. Like what, what's your take on that? Yeah. I, so this is what's so hilarious about all this. Um, there's this group called the world economic forum. That's right. Boo hiss. Back in 2016, they put out this tweet. It was uh, a member of parliament in Denmark. And she of said, course. welcome to 2030. I own nothing, have no privacy and life has never been better. And so this kind of resurfaced in 2020. It's like, Oh, this is where this is all headed. And the hilarious thing is like Reuters did this fact check on this. Okay. And in 2021, it said false. The world economic forum does not have a stated goal to have people own nothing and be happy by 2030. It's like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not trusting this uh, dumb fact check. Uh, you know, th this is, uh, th this is certainly, uh, you know, we, we can get into a lot of global politics and, and whatnot here and conspiracy theories, but it's really not a conspiracy theory. I mean, this is like their stated goal from their own publications and their own, uh, what is it? The young leaders, uh, something of, of world economic forum. And, you know, they, they want to reduce everyone's carbon footprint and spoiler alert, you are the carbon footprint that they want to reduce. Um, of course, this is causing a ton of unrest in, in countries like Denmark and Sri Lanka right now, but yeah, it, it's, that's, what's driving a lot of this, uh, arguably is this kind of hyper environmentalist, uh, hyper managed, uh, hyper online kind of way of living that uh, some people think is where we need to go and that we need to go from owning things to renting things. And, you know, all the way uh, recently there, uh, I think it was the WF or another similar group was like, you know, we should stop owning cars. We, we should just all use Uber or these like uh, automated driverless, uh, you know, electric vehicles that come and pick you up or whatever. And it's just, it's just this very weird um, kind of anti, you know, anti way of current life, I guess. Oh, these are uh, folks who have been living in big cities too long and who don't yeah, know what it's like in other exactly. parts of the real world. I'm not saying they don't live in the real world, but their real world is not my real world. There are more than one kind of real going on around here. Yeah. What, what does that have to do with Zach with pods and uh, eating the bugs real quick? I just want to explain our joke before we move forward. Well, you know, groups that are aligned with the World Economic Forum are trying to push these, you know, plant-based uh, meat substitute things. Uh, I or bug-based. 
Yeah, bug-based. I mean, there's been a number of those. I'll, I'll see if I can pull up some articles to link to, but the most recent thing I saw was like uh, cricket-based snacks. It's hard not to look at this very, uh, very suspiciously. Like there, there's something very nefarious going on. Um, I, I don't want to get into the, too much, but um, yeah, again, it's it's people that have been pushing the the agenda that meat is bad for you and meat is bad for the environment. Um, therefore, we should we should stop eating meat and we should just eat, you know, these plant or bug based things. But it, it's interesting how much that. Uh, shows up in sci-fi. I just read a book recently uh, by Blake Crouch. It's called Upgrade, and it's about this future where there's uh, genetic engineering happening. And um, he, he there's just like this kind of like side note where he's like, "Oh yeah, I." He, he takes out his um, his wife, I think, to dinner, and he's like, "Oh, I paid for you know real steak, and uh, uh, even though it costs three times as much." And it's like, <laughs> like sci-fi has kind of been predicting this for a while that everything's going to be lab-grown and bioengineered, and and so uh, I I hope not because uh, I'm a Texan. I love my red meat. I love my brisket. I love my steaks. You know, I, I'm not giving that up. You know, come and take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And uh, this actually starts to sound uh, even more spiritual when you compare it with the uh, warnings in the epistles in which the Apostle Paul and others mm. are saying that false teachers will come along and they're going to try to tell you not to eat stuff. They're going to tell you, do not handle, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These things have the appearance of wisdom, but are of no value in uh, restraining the indulgence of the flesh. Like, okay, so you got this Christian equivalent of it sometimes where people will load up uh, food rules or house rules or dress rules. Uh, with some kind of spiritual meaning that they've made up and imposed on you. But then you've also got the secular version of this. And the reason why we're, we're bringing it up here is that I do see in here at least one variety of this secular version of don't go to the theater, kids. It's dangerous, you know. And, but in the old days, it used to be don't go to the movie theater. You know, uh, the devils are there. You know, don't go next door to shoot pool or, uh, you know, have a pint of something because the devil will get you. Uh, kind of this uh, teetotaler, you know, Billy Sunday, a uh, prohibition type thinking about the cinema and, and all these places don't smoke or dance or date girls who do. But now you've got the secular version of this. Uh, don't go to the theater because you will catch a literal virus. Yeah, you're going to kill grandma and destroy the earth. Right now, grandma might be sick and you might have grandma in your house. You know, she's on a ventilator. In that case, yeah, maybe you need to take some special precautions. You know, we've talked about that a little bit. And this is not just another covid show. But skipping again back to the present, uh, you get movies like Dune that start to crack that a little bit, that people realize that it's not all dangers in uh, crowd-based uh, environments like movies or going to see movies. There are some benefits there. Uh, there's still a conversation to be had about whether these collective culture experiences outweigh the risks of maybe catching a virus that may not be so dangerous to you, especially if you get a vaccine or treatments or whatever. People start feeling more comfortable saying, you know, big screens, the movies as an idea are still pretty good. And Zach, you mentioned Tom Cruise doing that. Christopher Nolan certainly defended the big screen experience. There was a few other actors and directors who stepped forward, especially because they could see the future and they knew that it wasn't good for them uh, getting paid based on whether people got a movie ticket, uh, which is a whole lot more than if people saw the movie on a streaming service. So directors, creators, actors started getting alarmed. Uh, Scarlett Johansson actually sued Disney for putting her movie Black Widow on uh, Disney Plus instead of uh, committing to the theatrical experience. And uh, she actually ended up, I think, uh, settling with them and hopefully trying to work things out with uh, that controversy. So you had the creators realizing 
this is not good for us. And I guess my, my real quick thought here, I didn't even have this in the notes is how much of this is ego and how much of this is honor. Because right now I'm kind of erring on honor. Like Christopher Nolan may have some ego. Like my movies are special. They belong in theaters. Like it's a prestige project. And I even directed a movie called the prestige. That's how prestigious I am. Big director, Christopher Nolan. But there's also a sense of honor in there. Like, wait a minute. Like we signed for me to make a movie for theaters. Like my movies are made artistically. They are designed. Uh, we even do the sound design. Like it's made for the big screen experience before it's adapted for home viewing. If you skip the big screen to go for the small screen, even if the small screen is 128 inches across, uh, that that denigrates the movie. It dishonors my work. It dishonors the work of my actors and you know the guys doing the electrical work or the sound mixing or the visual effects. Uh, it dishonors Scarlett Johansson, uh, who had been arguably postponed way too long for having a black widow movie and then suddenly oh what do you know it's the female superhero who has to go to the uh the streaming service first it it may be even be a little sexist there like who knows um my take now is that yeah it, it is about honoring uh the work done by these uh creators you know who are made in god's image and they've been gifted with these talents and especially if they've committed with the studio to make a movie for theaters first honor demands that the studios honor that commitment yeah, and I think with Nolan, uh, if I remember correctly, his position was, look, let people decide if they want to go to the theaters or not. Exactly. You know, just g- give people the option, give people the freedom. And the reality is uh, it was made on a budget for a theatrical release, and there was no way they were going to recoup that. I mean, I-, I believe this is correct, but I think most movies are a net loss. And Hollywood studios just kind of get to use that as a tax write-off that's why they call some tentpole movies that prop up the risk you take on you know some other movies yeah very similar uh economics as the book publishing industry where you know something like seven or eight out of ten books uh don't make a profit and then it's that last one or two books that kind of cover all the other uh books and their expenses and so you know, every movie, every book is kind of a gamble that no one really knows what's going to resonate with people. No one knows the, this, especially because you're, you're creating a story that's for the future, that, that's for a year two, five years from now. And so you, you don't really know years from now if the story you're making now is going uh, to be a hit or not. And so everything's kind of a gamble, but, but the problem is if, if then if you just hedge all your bets, then there's no way they can recoup all the costs. And so, um, but yeah, I, I think there is, uh, so there's obviously, there's an obvious economic incentive, but I, I think you're right. I think it is the, the honor element as well. It's, um, Hey, p- people deserve their, their recognition and also viewers to de- deserve the opportunity. Yes, I, I think there's ultimately three movies that ended up cracking the uh, the stronghold of those predictions that theaters were finished. The first one was Dune, and it started to put some cracks in that facade. The second one coming out around uh, Christmas, just this past Christmas, 2021, was, of course, Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah, That, I think, alone, Zach, finished the narrative. There was no streaming release for that. Uh, there was a mad hype for that movie, oh, rightfully right. so because it brought back uh, previous stars and really embraced the Spider-Man uh, multiverse, uh, brought in uh, stars from previous uh, Spider-Man movies. No further spoilers. If for some reason you haven't seen it. And ultimately, even without a China release, that movie grossed nearly $2 billion. Uh, and most superhero movies are expected to you know, hover, you know, if they're really popular Marvel movies or something, they're expected to hover 
at or near the $1 billion mark. Spider-Man doubled that without the Chinese release. So theaters are back, baby. Uh, And then you mentioned Top Gun Maverick just this past spring, the Memorial Day weekend release. It also set records and it destroyed, I think, any of the old nonsense about how theaters were dead. We're no longer going to have event movies. We're all going to stay at home, work from home and watch movies that were made for streaming services only. Uh, There's still some consequences, though, of people betting on the wrong side. Uh, I think Pixar has certainly suffered some loss of brand reputation. Uh, It certainly didn't help that they had a not-so-secret gay agenda in their Lightyear movie. But there's also been some superhero movie fatigue that I think has been exacerbated by the Disney decision to make a lot of Marvel TV shows and then also put Marvel movies like The Eternals and Black Widow uh, direct or almost directly on Disney+. Uh, suddenly a Marvel movie, at least to me, doesn't feel very special. The last one that felt special to me was Spider-Man. And that was mainly because they just pulled out all the stops for the, you know, the multiple heroes and villains from other Spider-Man franchises. Like that was really cool. It was an event movie. Uh, Can you imagine if they had decided to put that on streaming first? It would have just felt ugly. Uh, At the same time, I think uh, we have seen, and I've alluded to this, uh, the hype for streaming is leveling off. Uh, Some of the numbers are coming out. uh, Some of the services are plateauing. Uh, And then, as I mentioned, Zach, the HBO Max service uh, seems to be among the first to recalibrate. Uh, There is a whole uh, ordeal uh, with a merger between Discovery and Warner Brothers, and the new CEO is named David Zaslav. I've been paying attention to this story because it's uh, probably going to end in the restoration of the Snyderverse to some extent, or at least the timeline. And we may finally get Superman and Batman back as they were originally planned. But there was an earnings call that Zaslav had with investors that uh, got out to a bunch of other people, including interested fanboys and other you know, popular culture hangers on like myself. Fascinatingly, uh, Zaslav said that they are literally going to be canceling these uh, expensive but not expensive enough, enough for theaters made for TV movies. And they canceled Batgirl. I was stunned. They spent nearly $100 million on Batgirl. They had A-list actors in there. It was a snarled up timeline. And fans were indifferent to it. Certainly the Snyder fans were indifferent to it. But they just cancel it. It'll never be released. They just shelved the thing. And the the backstory there that a lot of people are misunderstanding is that Zaslav is all about the theater. He's like, why are we spending $100 million on a mid-range or even low-range movie to release to the streaming service? It's not going to be a big draw to the streaming service. It's not going to be high quality enough or high stakes enough to put in theaters. It's just right in the middle. It doesn't go anywhere. Let's cancel it and take, like you said, Zach, a tax write off on it. Like, and they've said, at least to be diplomatic, well, we still want to work with the actors. Like, we're, it's nothing against necessarily the movie itself. Uh, but apparently, some of the early reception to it was just this, this ain't good. This ain't worth theaters. And it's certainly not the best for even streaming. In that call, Zaslav said, quote, We will fully embrace theatrical. We intend to maximize the value of that content through a broad distribution model that includes theatrical, streaming, linear cable, free-to-air gaming, consumer products and experiences, and more everywhere in the world. End quote. That's jargon talk. I followed like 80% of that. But the, his main point is that, guys, we make movies for theaters, and then maybe you put it on the streaming service, and then maybe you put it on cable or DVD or whatever, but we're going to value the theatrical experience. We see honor and value in that tradition. And it's been fascinating, Zach, to see he's drawn a lot of criticisms for that. Um, even the reliance on the idea of like, this has got to make a profit. We've got to be excellent. Like, we can't release a movie that we don't stand completely behind. Uh, it's a little shade thrown on some of the uh, the older movies, like DC included, uh, that have really suffered in terms of uh, quality. 
Uh, and this idea that they were going to put all their chips on streaming. Well, suddenly all the streams, all the, almost all the streaming shows they announced have been canceled. Uh, but Batgirl among those, it was going to be a movie. They'd already made it. It was already in post-production. It's extraordinary. Uh, and yet Zaslav says, nope, this isn't traditional. Like we're going back to tradition. And Zach, I, I think I saw, you may have seen, I put in the show notes, the slide from that presentation that I found fascinating as well, just for that uh, angle on tradition. There was a slide comparing the strengths in their view at the corporate level of HBO Max versus the Discovery Plus streaming service. And they said that HBO Max has, and I'm using direct quotes here, male skew. Uh, in other words, this is mainly dudes who watch this channel, or we see that mainly dudes watch this channel. They also use words like lean in and scripted to describe their stories. In other like, words, ed, like are, lean, like edge of your seat, like, like edge of your seat, like, yeah, yeah or something that you lean in uh, and then you go onto a podcast or onto the social mm -hmm. media or with your bros uh, or with your friends, you know, because it doesn't rule out women. It just says male skew, but it's the type of stories they foresee that people will want to talk about. In other mm -hmm. words, event stories, uh, which, you know, if I had to pick between the two of them and I'll describe the second one in a little bit, I mean, that's me to a T. Like, I, sure. I love Dune. That's an event story. It's definitely male-led. By the way, all three of the movies that seem to have rescued theaters are unabashedly about male heroes. <laughs> Dune, Spider-Man, No Way Home, and Top Gun Maverick. I mean, it's just completely all in and, uh, you know, almost utterly free of any woke agenda or anything like that. Uh, by comparison, they said that Discovery Plus, which I'm not as familiar with, probably because they said it has female skew, lean back, and unscripted stories. It's a little more reality TV. Uh, people on the interwebs were laughing because there was another slide from their presentation that referred to the 90 day fiance universe. I have no idea what 90 day fiance <laughs> is, but I'm guessing it, it's a reality show where you try to get a guy to marry in inside of three months or something like that. Oh, wow. But like people were laughing about the universe, like what well, it's, oh, it's a multiverse, you know, like <laughs> everything's got to be multiverse now. I think I've on the record in the last few episodes saying that I'm getting sick of all this multiverse talk. Uh, they also contrasted the streaming services by saying that HBO Max is for appointment viewing and the home of fandoms, whereas Discovery Plus, they said, is more about comfort viewing and genre dumps. But the overall point, I think, to, to take here and then compare to the, the, the main thrust here about theaters versus streaming is that at least one big corporate uh, studio boss is now saying, I'm tired of the trendy predictions. They've only lost us money. Uh, and by the way, between the lines, Zach, uh, he hasn't said a thing about uh, going woke or honoring diversity or any of that stuff. He's like, nope, we're going to make profitable stories. We're going to make excellent stories. We're going to make stories that people want to talk about. Let's go back to tradition. And I see that as absolutely fascinating, especially because a lot of people are just aghast, like, oh, you're ruining everything. You're, you're the one who's ruining DC. You're the one who's ruining the future. And everybody's just uh, reacting as if someone came in and said a bunch of things that to me sound really obvious, but that clash with a lot of people's trendy predictions. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting to hear a lot of that because I, I think he's moving in the direction that a lot of fans want to see movies go to, which is I do make a make a movie for a specific audience that you like. <laughs> you know, if if you're trying to get a demographic to go to a movie and you don't like that demographic, but you, and you're trying to teach them a lesson, uh, and you're trying to get them to bring some other demographic, and look, this is I'm not talking about identity groups here, but I, I'm I'm really just talking about taste. You know, if, if you're trying to get people to like something that they don't like, uh, but you, they should like this or they, they, they should celebrate Eat your this. vegetables. It's like, yeah. yeah Support. It, it's, it's just a weird approach to movies. It's like, 
how about you just make the movie that people want to see and then you'll make a lot of money. <laughs> like it just seems rather simple. I think about, you know, you mentioned Lightyear, how that didn't do quite as well. And, oh, and it was I, an utter, it was an utter bomb. Yeah, it landed and, with a thud. It was sad. And I, I think there's actually a very simple explanation for it. There was no Tim Allen. Tim Allen is Buzz Lightyear and they cut him out entirely. And he even made a statement about it. And, uh, and I was like, well, I guess I'm not seeing it because I, I, I don't understand why they would cut him out. He's still alive. He's still working. He could be in that movie, but I guess they thought that they wanted to go a new direction with Buzz Lightyear. And I'm like, what what is it? Like, it made no sense to me at all because this is voice acting. It's not like he's starring in it in the flesh and now he's too old. You're not putting that purple wrapper over Tim Allen's head and sticking him inside a fishbowl helmet. Right. And, And it, you know, I haven't seen it, but from things I've read, it's like, they wanted to go in a different direction with Buzz Lightyear. And again, just attract a different uh, type of viewer, a, a different kind of taste, a different set of values. And fans weren't having it. Cause they're like, this is not Buzz Lightyear anymore. This is something else that you're calling Buzz Lightyear. And so I, I like this direction with, with HBO. And I think he's right that um, I, I, I think he's right, you know, generally about kind of how men and women are. I mean, that's, pretty true with Naomi and I, that I, I like the big event things. I, you know, I I always joke about, I I can fall asleep to these kind of big action movies and she gets really stressed out and she, uh, she loves Hallmark movies. And I, I just get bored to death of those, but, um, you know, we're, we're pretty typical in in that way, but you know, the mixed reactions that you were talking about to this, uh, this presser, I think, again, it shows that there's, there's people that want you know, society to be a certain way that, that want men and women to be a certain way that want fans to be a certain way. And then there's people that just recognize fans and, and audiences for who they are and say, Hey, I can make something for you. I, I think you'll like the story. And this kind of goes back to our previous episode of like, you, you can try so hard to help people with the story that you end up just kind of being condescending and, and insulting them. And it, yeah, it's like shoving vegetables down their throat and like, this is what you need rather than like, Hey, I think you'll enjoy this. Yeah. Just to push back on almost myself a little bit though. Like I, I don't want to go too far in the direction of it seeming to imply that men like serious stories that you lean in towards <laughs> and, you know, women mainly like uh, unserious comfort stories that you lean sure. back about. I think the best kind of story that a lot of people wrongly, I think associate with women is a lean in or lean back story like Pride and Prejudice or any of the good movies set in the Jane Austen universe. Yes, Jane Austen does have a universe and it does <laughs> not include the dreadful uh, Netflix movie that claimed to be an adaptation of Persuasion, but actually was almost entirely rotten according to the fans that I've heard from. We see you, Persuasion Rebels, and we, <laughs> we are see you, on Darcy your girls. side. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Is that the name for them? I'm not sure. That, no, that's that my case, name for them. That, okay. I, All right, I ran that, by the way, I ran that by a friend of mine that's Yep. Okay. Says, so yep, that, I'm a Darcy girl. That yep. that is acceptable. And then, well, <laughs> Darcy's not in um Darcy's not in uh, persuasion. It's uh, Captain true. Wentworth if I recall. But uh, the fact is is that men and women both like stories that you can lean in towards or sure. lean back. And in either case, both men and women like stories that are in movie theaters. You know, they like getting away from home like uh, Zach, I think a lot of this too, like you mentioned some of the nonsense where people were saying like let's not own cars anymore. Let's just take Uber everywhere. Like you city slickers, you don't know what it's like <laughs> out here where not everything is packed into a few you know, square miles or a few city blocks. 
And similarly, a lot of people who have a lifestyle where they're living on their own or with a roommate and who are not raising a family don't understand that movie theaters are a place for either families to go as an event, as a thing to do together that's relatively inexpensive. You know, it's more expensive than going to the park, but less expensive than going to a theme park, especially if you don't buy snacks. But it's also a place where couples can go to get away from the kids. You get a babysitter and you go to the movies and you go see Top Gun Maverick or you go see a Jane Austen movie or something that's being put in theaters. You know, it may have cost $300 million to make or it may have cost $100 million to make, but it still has kind of this premium uh, uh, nature to it because of the creators or the actors or something like Lacey and I saw uh, Little Women uh, in, in theaters. Like, that's not a huge, expensive blockbuster, but I think that the quality of it like, made it an event viewing, and we both really enjoyed it. Uh, it was a remake made a, a couple of years ago. Uh, there's certain things that humans do and that humans are always going to do that if people were maybe a little bit more aware of what humans do and not just what the trendy forecasters think we're going to do, I'll be locked up in homes and working from home, living in a pod and maybe eating bugs. Uh, then maybe we ought not make silly predictions like this. And I think that leads me here to chapter three, which we've already crossed over into again. Why did culture critics and corporations want to predict the future? And I think to some extent it goes down to power. The explanation that there's power in prediction that I've already alluded to. If you are a successful prophet, you gain cultural cachet in the Old Testament era as well as today. Uh, we've used the word gamble a lot here, Zach. And I, I do want to acknowledge that that kind of risk is built into the game. Uh, we've talked about how for a while there, maybe it did look like uh, crowds were not going to be around for a while and everybody was going to have to subsist on streaming movies instead. But I think if people had seen that that was going to be the exception, uh, that there was going to be either a vaccine or some other policy uh, undertaken to deal with the pandemic or future pandemics or whatever, uh, if people didn't put all their chips on viruses forever and ever, amen, uh, then maybe people would have predicted more wisely you would have had more wise forecasters who would say guys streaming is a future but it's not the only future uh, instead you get the wise the worldly wise being informed by weird little ideas that we've talked about like we're all going to work from home we're all going to live in pods we're not going to own cars we're going to take public transportation and maybe we're going to eat bugs like all weird ideas like that are just part of this effort to predict the future uh, and it's uh, it is just it's it's inhuman. I don't know how else to describe it, Zach. It, it denies the goodness of human nature that we are made to live in communities. And by the way, simple common sense, we're not all working from home. I'd like I find it absolutely obnoxious for people to assume that everybody or almost everybody is going to get to work from home. Like I work from home some for Lorehaven and creative writing and things and podcast development, obviously, but not all the time. And I'm not sure that I would want to. And I, I'm like. I'm kind of got one foot in the work outside of home and one foot in the work from home. And I see the advantages of both, but not everybody can do that. Like it's, it's absurd to suppose that, you know, the guy who refills the gas on your bus or your public transportation is going to be able to do that working from home. What's he going to do? Steer a drone? Uh, well, now you are in Wally territory and that's not the kind of science fiction that I find uh, uh, aspirational for humanity. I find that absolutely dystopian. Uh, we shouldn't want that, even if the technology would allow it. But I'm I'm with you, Zach. I think some would-be tastemakers would be happy with this. I'm not sure if they just have that kind of brain that wants to line everything up and have all the little cogs mesh together and have all the trains run on time. Like, well, that's scary stuff. It's been scary stuff for a century. And our world has always been full of these kind of bizarre little forecasts that this is going to be a happy place. Like, no, it's not. 
No, it's not. We actually have good common grace movies that predict the threat uh, from that kind of um, uh, technocracy going on. This is not a thing to aspire to. Uh, this is ugly. This is evil. Uh, we ought not all want to in, uh, live in pods and ignore the movie theaters. And I think that the idea of eliminating movie theaters is just one little consequence of this. The idea of eliminating cultural events like concerts or anything else where people get together and enjoy a thing, that is just dumb. I'm not even sure how to say it, but it's not only dumb and impractical because no society can work this way, but, and this is where I kind of work to my conclusion here, it's unbiblical. And we have alluded to this as well, uh, going back to the way that God created man, like God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper mm. suitable for him. And he makes Eve uh, to join Adam, uh, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. He makes the idea of family. He makes the idea of community. He's already anointed them as his stewards to go out and fill the earth. Once again, we're in cultural mandate territory. God has made people to be in community, living one with another, not living in pods. Uh, and then even after sin corrupts the world, God gets really, really understandably, righteously upset when everyone decides that they're all going to be one people and live in the plain of Shinar and build a tower of Babel uh, and like all get in one place. Like, okay, you've got a good, you've got the right idea here of being community, but you've got the wrong idea. You're supposed to spread out. You're supposed to make more new communities. Uh, you're supposed to do cultural events. Uh, in different ways, not just all the same way. And God uh, goes so far as to confuse people's languages in order to make sure that people are fulfilling their original calling, even in a sin-corrupted world, to fill the earth and subdue it and not just all cluster in one particular area. Uh, God has made people to be in communities and gather and steward the earth. He's also made us to get together for festivals, for celebrations, which includes stories. And I would group the movie theater experience uh, in with a possible expression of that. And if your prediction denies the goodness of that or pretends that it's somehow just out of fashion or out of style because you assume lockdowns are going to continue forever and ever on men, I again think you're not only being foolish, but you're denying the basic goodness of human nature as God has intended it. I think you're also trying to step onto maybe uh, the territory of secular divination, whereas God is the only prophet. And uh, it doesn't take a really deep dive into scripture to make a more accurate prediction that we as human beings are always going to be creatures of public gathering. We're going to get together, not just in our homes, but in public spaces to enjoy stories and other cultural events. Apart from consideration of idols and corruption and, you know, exceptions for viruses and lockdowns and things like this is the default human culture is the default and uh, the christian looks at that and i think the christian ought to see that this is how humans are going to behave for eternity you know whether or not we have movies or theaters in the new heavens and new earth we're gonna get together for stuff uh, it's just expected uh, there's a metaphor and or literal event uh, forecast uh, that's called the marriage supper of the lamb uh, there's this image in there of a city of a garden of feasting of people getting together Homes, yes. Mansions, yes. Many rooms, absolutely. But not just many rooms. Uh, new heavens and new earth, new Jerusalem is not just going to be full of pods to live in. Uh, it's going to be a whole planet to explore, to spread out in, uh, quite possibly to also go on making and sharing movies, certainly better ones than we have now. But I think the good ones we have now uh, enjoyed for God's glory and not for human sinfulness uh, gives us a sign of things to come. And I think it's wrong to predict a future that's uh, contradictory to that.
you know, I've mentioned that there is a sort of radical environmentalism that's behind a lot of these predictions. And I, I think I want to be a little bit more specific is that it's Malthusianism. Okay. okay do tell. You know, yeah. So Malthus uh, basically predicted, you know, explosive population growth and oh yes. uh, that we're all going to run out of food. And, and you know, this has been completely debunked Doom. now. Um, yeah. Well, it's like the Paul, Paul Ehrlich, a population bomb forecast of the 1970s. Right. right. And so he he didn't think we could, you know, feed that many people. and um, it, it's been completely discredited, but amazingly, like this idea still shows up today. There was something I, I quote tweeted, although just anonymously, cause I, I don't want to attack this person, but, um, there was a comment that I highlighted, uh, the other day on social media where someone said, uh, the more of us there are, the more carbon we pump into the atmosphere and the hotter our climate becomes, the hotter our climate becomes, the less habitable the world becomes. And the more people there are, the fewer resources there are to go around. Straightforward math and science. And no, it's not straightforward. Like that that is a pseudoscience. You know, that that is not scientific. It's a religious um, belief. I think it it, I think it's a way for someone to work out their creeping sense that they don't belong here. Like, okay, like you need to get that looked at. You need Jesus to deal with that sense that you don't belong here because you do. You know, God has made you for a purpose to glorify him forever and 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 enjoy yeah. that forever but don't don't project your psychological issues on me and certainly don't project them onto society and change the laws to favor your projections well and there's something even more sinister behind this uh this guy's statement because he also said have we got to the point where having three children should be socially unacceptable oldest of six come at me bro yeah can't legislate against it or even penalize it fiscally because children should never be punished for their parents choices but having three children as the world burns is surely not okay. So again, this is this is just bare antinatalism. It is. This, this is someone who hates humans probably because, you know, maybe he's he doesn't like himself or something, or he doesn't like his parents or his siblings or who knows what his tragic backstory is. It but the, it was the home back home syndrome. Yeah, but but this is, uh, you know, th- this is a ideology as old as time that, um, you know, all the way back the. The Tower of Babel. They didn't want to have more children. They didn't want to spread out. Um, you know, and this is God's first command: <laughs> be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And ever since God gave that command, yes, there has been a satanic agenda to go against that, to disobey that command. And so, look, uh, love God by having families and having children, supporting families, supporting children, foster children, adoption, whatever. But this is a very evil ideology. I'm just going to say it plainly. And it's, and it's not correct. It's not scientific. It's not true. And it's, uh, it, it's pretty much the voice of agent Smith in the matrix. Uh, you know, back to humans are a virus that consume everything. And so there's, it, it's always the villain and the story that's voicing this kind of anti-human sentiment. So we got to watch out for that. Agreed. And I think this does manifest in these, uh, in even, even predictions like theaters are doomed and the idea that we're never going to get together again like that. That is just short-sighted uh, as well as being unbiblical. And it does seem to illustrate that there's there's these toxic ideas floating around that are inhuman. I'm not sure what else to say except to call them inhuman. So that's why I'm against that. That's why I'm glad that theaters are coming back. Of course, there's going to be some vice going on, but then again, it's almost better to air that out in public sometimes rather than just emphasize the privacy of your own home. But for good movies like Dune, Spider-Man No Way Home, and Top Gun Maverick, and whatever else is ahead, 
Uh, I look forward to seeing those in theaters. I don't care if you put it on the same day in the streaming release. I'm going to go to the theaters to see it first. So that's the future that I can predict for myself. Uh, that's not the Lorehaven position. You know, it's just it's just how I'm looking at it. Although, of course, there's going to be some streaming services that I don't subscribe to and a lot of movies that I don't see. I'm interested in hearing uh, how you think about movies. Like, did you avoid theaters for a while? Uh, are you looking forward to going back or have you already been back? Uh, uh, what did you think about this whole uh, flirtation with streaming exclusive future in our timeline? Uh, email podcast at lorehaven.com or comment at uh, the lorehaven.com page or tag us on the socials. And you too may end up in our com station like our frequent contributor, Autumn Grayson. Uh, she wrote a comment on episode 124 uh, the one in which Zach and I explored how Christian stories can help secular readers. She said, quote, whether or not Christian authors intend to write for a Christian audience, it might be good for them to remember that secular readers will probably discover and read their books anyway. Secular readers could have the book recommended by a Christian friend or even accidentally stumble across it on Amazon. It's important for Christian authors to be aware of that, not necessarily for the sake of conforming to secular expectations, but for the sake of thinking ahead and figuring out the most constructive way of handling any issues that can come up. End quote. Zach, I'm curious what you thought about that comment as a response to our discussion. Yeah, that, that's very true. Books get shared, recommended all the time. And, uh, you know, I have seen some reviews for Christian books like, oh, I didn't know this is a Christian book. Bah, yeah, bah, that, that does happen. Even if it's a good <laughs> Christian book, if it's not a preachy book, yeah. like I've read that book, like that's top tier stuff. Like you're, you're, you're just snarky. You got a chip on your shoulder about Christians. Your criticism means nothing. Yeah. Your booze yeah. mean nothing. I've seen what makes you cheer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think it's always good to keep that in mind. Um, I always try to to think of that with things that, that I write publicly that are for a Christian audience. I'm like, look, I know other people are going to read this, especially if it's on social media or something. It goes back to just honoring all people. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, I think is a good principle to live by. Uh, but I don't think we should, you know, I, and I don't, I'm not saying Autumn is saying this, but I, I don't think we should be uh, worried about secular readers picking up our books. Um, I think we should, you know, welcome the possibility. And, and Autumn's right. It's just, it's going to happen. It's not like you can control who buys your book or reads your book or or whatever if you're a Christian author. And so I, I think it's good to have a plan for that. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned in our episode uh, the example from 1 Corinthians 14, where the Apostle Paul is urging the church to do all things decently and in order, uh, even involving uh, public acts of prophesying and speaking in tongues uh, in the uh, Corinthian church. And what he says there is that uh, in verse 23, He's saying, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. End quote. Now, that it's not a parallel situation uh, apart from the uh, con controversy over whether those, uh, those spectacular gifts are still going on today among God's people. We're talking about an organized uh, gathering of the saints for an, you know, an institutional local church event. And that's different from a Christian writing a book, you know, as an individual, but working with other Christians in a more parachurch type way. Uh, but I think the principle does carry over that you've got to be organized. You've got to be careful. You've got to plan this stuff so that if a non-believer comes in, then he at least gets a good testimony, you know, and hey, it may bring him to repentance. It may bring him to witness that, hey, God's at work in this book, or it may not. 
Uh, I think the point is that you need to do those things. If you're making a story for the glory of God, not just to please man, uh, the, the, it doesn't go back the other way. If somebody reads a Christian made book and gets mad or feels like it was preachy or whatever, it doesn't automatically mean the author failed. It may just mean that he's feeling a conviction uh, or an annoyance uh, that has nothing to do with whether or not the book did its job well. But the point is, is that you've got to help, help secular readers. Christian books, I think, should seek to help secular readers, but not on their own terms. God defines the terms, not the reader. Speaking of reading, uh, meanwhile, at Lorehaven, I mentioned in our last episode uh, an article that we are making about best books for back to school season. We are still making that article. Uh, it may be out by the time you listen to this episode. So check lorehaven.com to see if it's up yet. Meanwhile, throughout the month of August 2022, you can join the Lorehaven Guild. It's our free Discord server uh, to engage our book quest for 100 cupboards that's already underway, uh, led by Elijah David. You just subscribe free at lorehaven.com, and we will email you the portal code for the guild. Early announcement, by the way, I feel safe announcing this. Uh, next month's book quest will be The Hobbit. We're going to go there and there and back again. And this may or may not have anything to do with this uh, other giant franchise show claiming to inherit the legacy of Tolkien's Legendarium, uh, which arguably does not do so. Uh, we're just going to, for the present, unless some plot twist happens and it turns out to be amazing, even if fan fiction-y, we're going to ignore that show. We're going to focus on the professor's work, The Hobbit, uh, the original story supposedly for children, but that you'll find out if you haven't read it in a while, it starts off a little more kid-friendly, and then by the end, it's almost a subversion of the Arthurian mythos, and in tone and substance, really sets up uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, maybe even better than Tolkien knew. I think we're really going to enjoy it, so we will check back in uh, for that to start in September. Sign up for the Lorehaven Guild, and you can be ready for it. Uh, also this September, we are planning a different sort of saga for the podcast. Lord willing, that will be in September. Not going to say more. Just realize it's going to be a saga. Lord willing, check back for more details starting in September. And subscribe free at lorehaven.com. Get all those updates sent to you, whether it's podcast episodes or new articles, news updates, uh, or the reviews of new Christian-made fantasy that we post every Friday. Next on Fantastical Truth, well, we've talked about some cringy predictions in this episode, but let's move a little closer to home. Uh, maybe you've heard about that one church just within the last week or so uh, that just did a Christian version of the musical Hamilton. And of course, they got sued by the creators and savaged, seemingly unfairly, by secular media for agenda reasons. But they did seem to plagiarize. We'll talk about that and come up with some opinions on that. Or maybe last Easter you heard about the other church that did a Christian version of Marvel's Avengers, uh, only with a little bit more John 3.16 in there. Uh, that church seems to have adapted or parodied other fantasy franchises. And a lot of people look at that and they cringe. It is Christian cringe. And most of us have grown up seeing this for quite a while. It's a rather irritating art that our brothers and sisters keep making. Uh, for the sake of evangelism or entertainment. Our question for this episode, how can we be truthful about these controversial cringe attempts while also being gracious in Christ and staying faithful to his beloved saints in our churches? Meanwhile, maybe you took a break from theaters because of lockdowns. Maybe you went to theaters anyway. Maybe you thought for a while that streaming was the future and theaters were gone. We're curious, which do you prefer, streaming or theaters? Do you see the good in both? Do you see the idols in both? Either way, stay discerning. There can be common grace in movies and stories, whether you get them out there in the public theaters or you get them in your smaller screen at home. 
Either way, always enjoy this entertainment for the glory of God, not for self, as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth.